don't you? Uh, uh, I have a question <laughs> for you today. And this one is inspired by roles that we have taken and role that I am in now. But why is there at times, not everywhere, not every year, not every week, not every month, but at times, why is there a disconnect between what admin learns about, thinks about, is kind of told to facilitate in their schools versus what teachers really need to do in the classroom. So basically, why is there a disconnect often from the head and the body that causes a lot of what I would consider the us versus them mentality of admin and teachers? Why do you think this exists in schools? Well, I think I think, first of all, um, and, you know, I've been out of the, I was out of the classroom for seven years uh, consulting and, and, you know, working with teachers. And so I was in school and then I worked part time full teacher, you know, part time teacher, part time GT specialist. So I did that like half a day I taught. And then the other half a day I, I was at a, a high performing school where they had a lot of GT students like GT parents would actually take their kids there because of what they were known for. And so uh, I had, I had over a hundred gifted kids and I was always, I mean, there was, I was always testing and doing that. So I did that. And then I, and then they move all the GT specialists as academic coaches. So then for seven years, I'm completely out of the classroom other than going in and helping teachers. And then I go back in. Right. And I can tell you in seven years, it was hugely different for me, just what I remembered the classroom being like and what it really was like. And it was almost like culture shock because I'm like, this isn't how it used to be. And so I had to kind of readjust myself in the way that I thought, because the the culture in the classroom, the culture in our kids, all of that's changed so much. So I'm not so sure that what we're dealing with is uh, kind of like a generational gap when it comes to parents and children, you know, uh, it's all the same. I and mean, when we all have the same problems, that's why in literature themes are universal because, you know, you have the same similar coming to age type issues, not getting along with your friends kind of issues, but, but there's nuances that are completely different than when you were in. Does that make sense? So my being 15 is totally different than when my mother was 15 versus when my daughter was 15 versus when my grandchildren are going to be 15. There's mm -hmm. things that are different. And I think what happens is a lot of our administrators, and I'm not, I'm not criticizing administrators. It's a hard job. You're doing it. I don't want it. But, um, but the thing is, it's been so long since some of them have been in the classroom Going in and visiting for a 45 minute period in one class and a 45, you know, you see a lot, you learn a lot. There's a lot of stuff you see, but actually dealing with them day in and day out with the children and, and the nuances that they bring to the classroom and the differences that they bring versus what you remember are really totally different. It's not until you are in there day in and day out and not every year is the same, you know, one year is different than the next year. And so I think sometimes they forget 
And I know that they, I, I know, Jacob, that I would, when people say, Pam, you just don't understand. And I would get kind of insulted about that. Oh, yes, I do. I've seen all these classrooms. But it wasn't until I went back in and had to do all the nuts and bolts of teaching and making sure all of the paperwork was done and making sure that all of my uh, accommodations and all of that was met and making sure that all the parents were called. I mean, when you're dealing with the amount of issues that some classrooms have, I mean, some classrooms, even during the day, not each classroom is the same, right? So you've got you've got a classroom that might be all GT kids or a classroom that's a mix or a classroom that has a lot of special needs kids. You know, not all classrooms, even through the day, are the same. So you're having to deal with all of those issues the administrators dealing with other issues, right? So I don't even think the issues are the same. And so, but they're responsible for making sure that I know what to do. And yet at the same time, they, they don't understand or don't remember what it's like to try to get the paperwork done for 150 kids. Does that make sense? While you're dealing with them every day, day in and day out. And, it, and what I mean by that, like, like, um, you know, just classroom management and discipline alone. I, I truly believe that a teacher is as strong as the person that's outside of the classroom supporting her or him. Does that make sense? Because if if I've used all of my resources that I know how to do, and not all of us are made the same. In other words, I have a, probably a few more tools in my tool shed, if you will, dealing with classroom management than somebody that has only been in for three years. They may not have the same tools. So the thing is, is I think what happened, what can has happened in the past and what has happened sometimes is you've used everything that you know to use, right? As far as classroom management. So now you need the next step. Well, if that principal, assistant principal, whoever is supporting you, they're going through whatever they're going through. And they're like, oh my gosh, there they go again, riding that kid up. I've seen them five times today. I'm just sending them back to the classroom. Well, that's defeating to somebody. So I think sometimes they don't understand. There, there's a disconnect. I mean, like I had the belief that when I, once I sent, I didn't get too insulted because once I sent my kid out, I can't, my student out, side of my classroom it was no longer in my hands and I just left it alone I didn't even ask the principal questions what did you do that for but there are a lot of teachers want to know how the end result is and so th then I think that causes a little conflict sometimes because then they're like why do you need to know I've dealt with it the way I need to you sent it to me I dealt with it the way it's no longer your business you know from the admin view and then from the teacher view it's like well it's my kid it is my business so it's kind of an interesting dynamic but I think a lot of times we forget or we don't look at the situation from each other's shoes so it does seem like there's a big disconnect sometimes but what's really nice is when you have an administrator that's going to support you and it's hard to put a finger on how that how you do that but I think it's important that teachers feel supported in that room that they're not alone because there's nothing worse to be alone in a room where you're doing your best and you know that no matter what you do, they're not going to do anything. And so you're just like, you're stuck and you don't have any options. And the kids 
they figure out that out pretty fast. So then that causes this little situation. And anyway, I've been in all of them where I've, I've been a victim or I've seen it from an uh, academic uh, coaching point of view. And then I've had to work teachers through that, those systems. I've also worked where I've tried to explain to the principal, look, this is what this teacher needs. So I've done it from that viewpoint as well. And, uh, but I, I do, I think, I think just my own personal experience was I was in the classroom for what, 15 or more years, then I'm out for seven, then I'm back in. And when I went back in the difference of seven years, even though I was still in education, going back in and being responsible for all of those kids every day, all by myself in that room, once the door closes is totally different. And I think we forget, and I forgot how that feels. And then when that door shuts and you're in there and it's a rough class, you're like, I don't know what to do. And so it's, it, that's what makes our job, I think, difficult because you want to do your best. You want to make a difference, but sometimes you got to knock down a lot of walls to make that happen. And sometimes you don't have all the tools. So it's real difficult. So I think administrators need to kind of understand or try to not forget those things or maybe be in the classroom more. I have no idea. I know that that my administrators that I've had over the years that were in the hallway and were there and were visible, I felt supported. And I knew that I could go in and say, hey, I'm just going to use your name instead of the principal that I'm thinking of. And I'll say, hey, Mr. Chastain, can you step in here for a minute? I, I need some help. You know, and then they came in, dealt with it, but then I wasn't judged, you know, moved on. Yep, I know that happens, but we took care of it, Ochoa, you know, and then move on. Well, then I feel supported. But they're in the class. I can even just look out. I mean, we had one principal uh, at at uh, the first high school I taught at. He was there every day. As a matter of fact, when he got his own, he was a vice principal. And when he got his own principalship at his own uh, middle school, all the kids put signs all over the school going, uh, where's his and so they had they had that principal and he's passed away since but um because i've been teaching for a long time so i was <laughs> in my 20s so he's gone but uh he was a great guy but anyway they had like they had they had uh this actual sign that that they printed over and over and put it all over and it's like where's it would be like your name where's mr chastain and then it was like a picture of him like looking over the walls <laughs> So they had that posted everywhere because he was everywhere and they knew he'd be there any minute. And that's how he disciplined. And, and it, it, he said it saved him a lot of paperwork because he just nip it in the bud right then and there. And and because uh, so anyway, that, that's something But I felt really supported by by that person. So anyway, I don't know. I don't know if I answered your question, but that's that's where it is. That's what, no, I have. what do you think? It's good because here's the thing. I'm a rebel at heart. Am I not? Uh, you yes, have, you are. You have worked with me as a professional colleague, a partner, and as a co-teacher, like in, within, mm -hmm. we're not co-teaching, but teaching on the same team. Yeah, college. And, and you have seen me buck the system many a times. <laughs> um, and it's funny to yeah, me. Yeah, but not without reason. I mean, in other words, yeah. if you buck the system, it's because you saw a need that these students had, and you saw that there was a disconnect between what they were wanting and what we had in the classroom. And you even did research. I mean, you 
you turn it into an action research one time that I remember. <laughs> and so if you remember that and I you presented do. it to the principal and then the principal took your paper, which was about what, a four page paper. Yeah. And it even had, it even had pictures, everybody. It had pictures <laughs> citations. of the program. It had citations. It ex- even had research. Yeah. And you sent that in, right? And it was yeah. like a three week study. And yeah, you said, 100%. all right, everybody, if we're going to buck this, we got to do it for three weeks. Let's prove to them it doesn't work. And we did. And guess what? What did we have to do? We didn't have to do it because you That's did all right. of that. So when you're bucking the system, you don't just say ain't doing it. You have a reason. Yeah. Does that make and sense? I, and I think that is an interesting piece. And I think, honestly... I felt comfortable doing that to that extent because of the principle we had at the time. Okay, so you felt supported. That's what yes. I mean. And mm-hmm. but at the same time, there was been there was times where I had to buck the system when I didn't feel that. Like when we first brought in independent reading, that was not oh. when we did that, right? Before the district mm-hmm. had made the switch, before we started embracing, you know, Donalyn and Kittle and all of them. Um we we're seen as, you know, wasting class time with reading, you know, there's other things to do. Kids should read on their own time or set aside, you know, one day to read for 15 minutes, whatever. Um, you just raised your hand. Did you have a comment on that one? I did. <laughs> well, you know, I was in the same district when yeah. you were, y'all were doing that, but I got mm-hmm. news. I was there way before you. And on the other side of the district where I was at opposite you, and what you got to understand, everybody, is he was in the Title I side of our district. I was not in the Title I side of the district, so I had it easy. But what's interesting is the parents there wanted their children reading, and it was expected that we had that independent reading, so it wasn't considered naughty. Anyway, I just wanted to say that that was a, a double-minded uh, yeah. a, a double-minded expectation. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Just yeah. caught my attention. No, you're good. And, I mean, that's also worth noting, but... Um... We these points of rebellion pushing back. Uh, mm-hmm. I think it's good for educators to do because educators are in the classroom. Uh, you yeah. see what you see every day, but the I think the way to do it is to have that information to actually not just fight with feelings or anything like that. Because I guarantee you, whatever admin is pushing down is because someone had promised a program and has data and has all these other things, or they went to a training and they have this evidence to back like why they're pushing something or why district is telling the principals to push something. They'll have a reason, right? It won't be Mm -hmm. a non reason. Um, And I think sometimes teachers, uh, when they try to speak up, they don't do so from a place of here's why I'm speaking up. They do so of kind of like an emotional reaction. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think that's it's it's best to really if you're going to dig in or if you're going to even just strike the conversation. Um, I love I love having that evidence piece, having your reason why it's the same thing in workshop, have the reason why you're teaching something. Don't just teach it just because it's on there. Yeah, you have to. But um, having the reason, having data to back up what you're saying is good. But I, you know, jumping from to admin officially uh, literacy coach is a little different, but actually being an admin, it's interesting seeing mm-hmm. what people need. And, uh, like even this year I sent out a, a, a Google form that kind of asked, you know, do you feel supported here? Do you feel like we grew here, et cetera, et cetera. Just kind of getting a lay of the land of how I did. And there was things on there that, 
none of it was offensive. Like it was all fine. But some of it, I was like, oh man, I thought I did that. Or like, I thought I did that better <laughs> than I did. And so it's good like to gather information, but it's interesting to just see that um, even someone like me who I literally spend all my time talking about teaching still to this day, it's very little on the admin side in terms of conversation, um, especially like teach me teacher and stuff is I, even someone like me who has that focus to who just got out of the classroom, it's still hard to do. So I think it's a, it's an interesting thing. I think people lose sight of, um, what admin life is really like. And I think admin lose sight of what teaching life is really like. And the point is that they're both very difficult. They're both very challenging. Yeah. It's hard to work with human beings. And it's learning is not linear, despite what everyone wants us to believe in any conversation. And I think that's hard to fight because we talk about the system of school all the time. The system of school is designed to constantly show growth. Um, but that's not always possible with every variable in there. And I think that causes a lot of contention among uh, teachers and administrators. But well, you made, said, you made it. I know, but you made a comment. I have to comment back. Go ahead. But that was you said that we forget what it's like to be administrators. I got news. Most of your teachers have never been an administrator, so they don't even know. Yeah. And that really is because when I when I actually got out of the classroom and started walking around, I was somewhat shocked and surprised by what some of the other educators were actually doing that I was like, I had no idea because we're in there sometimes like there might be a colleague in trouble and we're all we're all for the colleague. Right. Because that principles mean. But now when I go around and look at it from the other side, you're like that colleague didn't need to be doing that. But, you you know, you only hear one side. So the whole point I'm trying to make there is we most of the times haven't even been. I've never been an administrator. I've gone close and I've been in those meetings and I had a principal that when I first worked for them gave me quite a bit of clout, if you will. Right. But I was never an administrator. I didn't have to deal with all the finances. I have to deal with all the, you know, the, the buck stops here kind of thing. I just was more of a liaison. So that's kind of a different side. So really, truly, maybe administrators need to communicate more on what the, some of the things that they really have to do instead of, acting like, well, it's, I mean, you can't give away things, you know, HIPAA and for, and all those other law for, I can't even think of the laws, but you know what I mean? The laws of, of confidentiality, you don't have to do that, yeah, but you can at least, yeah. And yeah, for, for this, I was thinking of, but I mean, but you can't also go, well, what was me? Cause that doesn't fly well either. You just don't understand how much I have to do as an administrator, you know? So there's that, I don't know. I don't know what the deal is, but I just wanted to say that teachers, really haven't been administrators, so I don't think they understand. And I definitely didn't understand until I got out of the classroom and walked the school during the day. It's pretty amazing what's actually going on and all the things and all the stuff that you don't see because you are in your classroom and you can't get out. But just to see what goes on in a day in a school is with the parents coming in and out, the emergencies that occur, the all the other stuff that occurs, it's pretty amazing. You're what fine. really goes on that you don't know about. Yeah. With that, um, everybody, go ahead. That's yeah, what I interrupted. That, with that, everyone, let's talk about something that other people misunderstand and struggle with. But before we tell you that, I'll tell you that this is Craft and Draft. That is Pamela Cho. I'm Jacob Chastain. We are two educators out in the city of Texas doing what we love, talking about reading, writing, workshop. 
and so much more. Sometimes we talk about administration. Sometimes we talk about Jeeps. Sometimes we talk about movies. Sometimes we philosophically pontificate. Uh, and sometimes we talk about the nitty gritty of actually running lessons. So we'll see where we go on this one, ladies and gentlemen. But today we're going to be diving into the wonderful topic of dealing with uh, workshop expectations, school expectations, while also serving our 504 students, our special needs students, uh, students who may need a little bit more uh, support in the classroom. Um, so to speak, my son has autism. So I think about this often, but we all have kids in our classrooms, whether an inclusion teacher, gen ed teacher, or something in between, maybe your co-teacher finding this. Um, so we're going to give you some helpful ideas, some helpful thinking on how to work with these young kiddos. But before we do that, I want to tell you that this episode is live. It exists because of our wonderful supporters on our Patreon Page. They go to patreon.com slash crafted draft and support us over there. They get bonus episodes, bonus trainings, access to us to ask questions, and so much more, including some merch if you support us at a certain tier level. But they are Alicia, Brandy, Leah, Mark, Amy, Sarah, Rebecca, Courtney, Carol, and Alyssa, Destiny, Lori, Natalie, Susan, Tracy, Andrea, Hannah, Lori, Jen, Matt, Amanda, and Donna. They are supporting us just like you can. So if you want bonus content, if you enjoy this episode and want more, go over there. It is worth the money. And you get our craft and draft setup videos and so much more. You get access to everything that's kind of been posted since. So go check it out if you would like to. But let's get to the conversation. Already, Ochoa. Um, here's the thing. You ready? Yeah, maybe. We just, we just talked about how teaching What am I ready difficult. for? We, we, we talked about how teaching is difficult. We've also talked about the, the conflict between what, my, what admin might want versus what teachers want. And sometimes this happens in the special education world, whether it's 504, whether it's special education. But there are these expectations um, that are thrown on teachers. Like I remember, and this is a real story. I got hired for people that don't know my origin story as a teacher. I won't go through the whole thing because it is a whole thing, but I didn't go to school to be a teacher. I was alternatively certified and I kind of got lucky with my placement because I knew the right people. They trusted me, but I didn't know a lot about education, right? I had the personality. I had the drive. Didn't know anything, right? I make the joke that I didn't know the qui what a quiet signal was until December, right? It's just one of those <laughs> things. Uh, so we're in our beginning meetings at school and you know we're sitting in there we're in the library everyone's talking about stuff and they go all right uh before you leave make sure to grab your 504 files and uh go from there and i leaned over and i was like what's a 504 file right they should have told you yeah i know <laughs> ahead and of my, time and my the, one of the teachers uh that i'll sit with um he he looked at me with like shock and he goes you don't know what that is Anyway, so this teacher, he looks at me and he says, you don't know what a 504 is? Like, he's like shocked. He's like, you got hired without knowing that? And I was like, you know, just like sitting there like, oops, I guess I should know. Um, but the point of this story is that I think a lot of teachers are in this. Now, I don't think a lot of teachers start out the way I did, but I think a lot of teachers are like, you know, yeah, it's cool. They've never worked at a public school before. Odds are they get hired at a Title I school to start off. They a lot of Title I schools have kids with higher needs or just a higher density of populations that are 504, special education, everything else. 
Um, and guess what happens? They get handed a file or they have the digital records and they have all of these accommodations that they have to do. Can't read out loud, uh, should be allowed to only type stuff or, you know, needs extra time. Um, you know, you list preferential all of your seating. preferential seating, all of these things. Right. So, uh, if you're an elementary, a lot of that has to deal with, uh, you know, spell check, having a word list, all of those things. Um, and what happens is you have all of these accommodations. You have all of these things that you have to do legally. You have to be able to speak to them. Um, or you could really find yourself in some hot water, either with your principal, uh, it could have legal consequences. Um, there's all kinds of things that can go down. Um, and also you're just not supporting the kid, right? The accommodations are for the kid. Uh, and so what I think happens is when we sit here and talk about workshop, when we talk about the dynamicness of workshop, we talk about how open and free it is and how, you know, letting kids really explore their ideas and reading and writing. I think a lot of teachers, can look at that and be like, okay, so how, how do I help this kid who can't even write right here? Right. Shouldn't they have more guidance? Shouldn't they have bumpers on, uh, the, the, the bowling lane? Shouldn't they have all of these mm -hmm. things? I think it's, it's like when you look at your class and you're like, okay, so how do I get from point A to point Z? A lot of the times we want to close that freedom down because we, it's the easiest way to visualize how to get there. And I think this happens with 504 special needs students all the time because we've talked to teachers. Um, we've worked with teachers who are like, yeah, workshop's great. But for my inclusion class, I'm not going to do that. And I think that's an interesting conversation. I don't even I don't even necessarily think that that is a wrong approach. But I wanted to kind of open this up as, you know, a, a simple question to you is workshop something that is a viable option for those classes, for our inclusion classes, for special needs classes? What do you think? Oh, I think so. I mean, I've always, I've never changed all the years that I've done. I've always done the workshop once I learned how to do it. Even with those students, I've done it with co-teachers. The thing about the co-teacher is I have to explain to them if they've not had uh, experience with workshop, what I'm doing. And so then explain to them how they can, how we can work together to help the kids. And so, yeah, I think where I do the... I still do the writing, you know, it, I may have it where it may say they need um, a copy of the notes. Well, I go ahead and provide that copy of the notes, but then I expect them to try in their reading. Uh, uh, well, all of a sudden I said reading, but uh, the draft, uh, the craft book, um, you know, when we take the mini lesson, whatever, I expect them to at least try to write as much as they can sometimes uh, if, and, and if they can't write at all, like if it just stresses them out, then I just handled that. And then I give them the copy and then they paste it in and then they write notes on what they paste in. So, so they would actually, you know, I would make a copy of that and, and then they would like, I give them a hand them a glue stick and they would paste it in. Um, the way I explain differences is Every if if I y'all had to wear my my glasses, could y'all all see? And they're like the kids will go no. Well then, not everybody has the same needs, so not everybody has the same prescription. Some of you don't need glasses, but if if I made everybody have glasses on, 
that wouldn't be fair to some of you. So, so what we want to do is some kids need different things. So I'm going to give all of you what you need based on what you can and can't do. And so uh, no judgment here. This is what we're doing. And this is just what it looks like for everybody to have, have a fair opportunity to learn. And so that's kind of how I explain it to the older kids. You know what I mean? And so, uh, but yeah, I just go ahead and give them those notes. Um, preferential, uh, I'm all around the room personally. I don't, I don't teach in front of, you know, you've seen me, I'm in the front, mm -hmm. I teach in the back, I teach on the side, I teach all over. But when I do conferences for those kids who need preferential treatment, I make sure that I go, you know, I sit with them. I don't make them come to me. Sometimes I'll go to them and I don't make them get up or anything. And then I, you know, that's where your small groups and things like that come in where they need a little extra help. When it comes to writing, some of my best work have, have come from those students that need a little extra help. Uh, but they've never been given the opportunity to actually write sometimes. We, I, and yeah, you can do sentence starters and you can do, uh, sentence frames and different things to get them started. I mean, I don't have a problem with that, but maybe let them try once in a while to just start their own sentence. Uh, after you give them some of those, then remove the scaffold. I don't think I've ever seen a building where it's finished. The scaffold is still up, you know? So I think we need to scaffold for these students, you know, give them opportunities to write, but then once they are able to do something, then take that part of the scaffold down and see if they can do it on their own. If they can't, see what they can do first and then come in with the help. And that's usually how I do it. I kind of just see what they can do first. And I explain, I just want to see what you can do. And then we'll go from there. And uh, sometimes I've had some of my best poems from some of these kids. It's really kind of, you know, those types of things, because they have a lot to say. They have a lot, but they don't always have an opportunity to do it. So in the workshop uh, writing side of it, I really have had a lot of success, but I hit a lot of their, their special needs in my conferences. I don't know. Yeah. What's your thought on that? Yeah. I mean, I, I want to double down on that piece where you talked about a lot of them have a lot to say. And I think it's because a lot of them have really never had the chance to speak. They've, they've been true. put and boxes this goes for all kids but a, a lot of these kids too is they've been put in these boxes they've been forced to write about specific things forced to write in specific ways they've only been allowed to express themselves in a four by four essay you know that is pre-designed by um just some idea someone had one time so this is how we teach it at this school now um when mm -hmm. And what that does is it it creates failure for kids that can't do that. It creates a lack of self-esteem in using your voice, right? We always talk about voice and choice is at the heart of getting kids to write. And if they've never, if their voice already doesn't necessarily fit into the norm of school, into the norm of society, how on earth do you think it's going to fit into the norm of an essay that they write just like everyone else to follow the same process, just like everyone else? Um, 
it's a wonder why a lot of these kids get to high school and they hate their lives in English classrooms. I see them all the time. You get these kids, you know, one at my school who have never seen that success. They've never been built up that way. And so they believe they're not writers, that they can't do anything um, in terms of be creative on the page or express themselves on the page or articulate themselves on the page. And it's super sad. Um, I've seen it, you know, when kids come from elementary to middle school in sixth grade, and I've seen it from middle school to high school now at all levels. And I think a lot of it does stem from that. Um, there, There is another version of that where they're coddled too much. Um, and mm-hmm. their, their accommodations are used as, um, boons rather than even evening the playing field, which is really when an accommodation is supposed to accommodate to get you to a level playing field, not get you higher than the level playing field. I think that's what a lot of people, that's right. um, and that's mm-hmm. the conversations I have to have it as administrator with, uh, parents sometimes it's like, okay, well. Is this getting them to where they need to be or is this just giving them, you know, so much support that now they're above kind of this level? And that's an interesting conversation to have for a different show. But um, I think that's also something that can happen. And so you get these kids who have never had to work at all. They might have had the freedom, but they've never even been allowed the freedom because um, they, they were just given too many things. And I think that can also be in the form of too much direct teaching, too much rails on the workshop, too much, all of this. And so, mm-hmm. uh, when it comes to working with these kids, um, I find that, you know, one of the solutions that we did at our school, which is the last principal I worked for that you worked for at the same campus was when she showed up, the one thing she said was, I'm not changing anything about your teaching, but I want y'all to have teacher tables. She's like, that's all I'm asking. She's like, y'all keep doing what you're doing. You keep doing workshop. You keep doing vocabulary the way you're doing, but have a teacher table. Pull your kids up there. You can do rotations if you want. Um, she didn't mm-hmm. really put a lot of guides on that, but it, it was to have those small group discussions. Now, at first, I was mildly against a teacher table, not because I didn't see value in it, but because my teacher table's everywhere. I sit at every table, and, yeah. I, and, I, and I strategically group And I've kids. seen you do that. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I strategically group kids uh, so that... Um, when I sit with them, it is small group. Essentially, my com- my conferences aren't always just one on one because the other kids come in, we talk. It's a whole interaction. Talking mm-hmm. about this actually makes me really miss the classroom. But like sitting in there and <laughs> you know having these discussions is my favorite times. Um, and I did this so often for multiple years. I didn't even have a teacher desk. I got rid of my teacher desk, and if I had a desk, it was really just to put my projector on. The classroom where you saw me teach first, and the uh, when we were, I was a literacy coach and had that one class. There was no teacher desk in there. There was a teacher table, mm-hmm. and there was just groups everywhere. Um, and when I was teaching, I was standing, and otherwise, I was sitting with kids. Um, and that's how I worked with those. But that class had what we're talking about. It had the mix of kids. Um, I've talked about it often. Uh, it had the, uh, the really high group. It had the middle group and it had the super low group. Um, and what ended up happening is those, the workshop format allowed me to give them the time they needed to get to serve those accommodations within workshop. And I started to see how the traditional model is almost more difficult to do it sometimes. Because if you're trying, yeah. if you're trying to write, if you're trying to get kids to write a very specific piece about a very specific topic or maybe a range of topics, but they still have to have, this is their due date. This is what needs to happen on this day. This happens on this day. This happens on this day. And then you end up turning in an essay by the end of it. Uh, 
now you're fighting your own system to try to accommodate because there's not a lot of breathing room. And then they're like, well, you know, and then again, I have to give them extra time. They're like, well, I should give everyone extra time. And then you it's all of those think that thinking that really is detrimental to what you're trying to do. You're trying to create these kids who can write something specific, but it's you're hurting a lot of these kids because they're not allowed to explore within their reasoning. And once again, I think it bears uh, repeating kids that already don't fit in to what we consider the norm of society with how they think, uh, the way they learn uh, because of their range of disabilities or anything else that might be affecting them aren't going to fit into these traditional, very cookie cutter lessons, ideas, etc. And so I think workshop is one of the few formats of teaching that accommodates or it, it, it's built in to accommodate because it's not meant to control. It's meant to provide a facilitative space for workshop being. And I think that's a unique aspect that we think we lose sight on a little bit. Oh, no, I agree with you there. And that's, um, but that, I think that's, yeah, I think a few podcasts back, I, I talked about the timer and, and I think that's where, I think that's probably where I got rid of the timer because all of my students, I, you know, trying to keep them, like you said, cookie cutter, or keep them all on the same plane or the same page altogether. It's just, it's, it's not, it doesn't work well. And you put undue stress on a child who's already stressed just by being in school. So a lot of times like in my classroom, because I'm a little more relaxed about those times and my writing time is really writing time. And they're writing and they're all writing on the things they want to write about. It's, I mean, I might have them all, I manipulate a little bit and I manipulate by my pre-writing topics, right? So if I want them to write about a non a, a fiction piece, then I have them create characters in their pre-writing. If I want them to write personal narratives, then they write about memories. So then their all their pre-writing little exercises are about memories. So then what they have to choose from, they can choose, but they get to choose from those memories. And then I show them how to do a personal narrative. So I'm a little bit different than you in that area. However, because the writing time is the writing time. They're writing the, something that they've created themselves. The pressure ends up a lot of times getting off of those students. And all of a sudden for the first time, I've, I've had several students within about maybe within the first three weeks of school go, Ms. Ochoa, this room is so calming. And I think it's because I don't get all flustered if the time is yeah, I'm not trying to keep them all on the same page. I, I try to keep them where they need to be based on what they're working on. And then I figure out a way to work around that, whether it's small groups, because I got four of you that are really having common problems. I can see it because I'm reading your pieces through my conferences. I need to bring y'all up and teach you about commas. Over here, I've got somebody who's using semicolons really good. They don't need anything about commas and semicolons. They got it, but their introductions aren't that great. So maybe I need to work with them on introductions. So I'll pull them in or work with them individually. And I think from there, I'm actually meeting all their needs way better than that accommodation page ends up telling me to do now there is extra time why is there extra time because I'm going to let you who need extra time work on it as long as you need to and 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 if I run out of time because my school district says my grades are due then I grade what I have 
I don't make them finish the piece sometimes. So if they need to turn that piece in, so I grade what I have based on what they can do. Okay. And then I might extend that time and then replace it with another grade somewhere else if they need extra time. I, I just, I just figure out a way to manage that so that they're not as stressed out. Now, do they get stressed out when all of a sudden I have to have something sometimes? So I have to work through that. I mean, I'm not saying I have a stress-free classroom, believe me. I've had, I've caused a lot of meltdowns over the years, <laughs> periodically, because I need it now because I got to have something. So, I mean, sometimes I do have those kids that are so afraid to write that they, you know, that I've got to, I got to really be creative to get something out of them. But but overall, the workshop model really is conducive, like you said. So I want to I want to reinforce that because uh, I think that's a great place to do all of your accommodating and modifying. Well, and extending. And there's also the piece on the reading side, too, which is mm -hmm. if you take a traditional classroom setting where everyone's reading one novel um, which again, we've talked about multiple times. We've defended the one novel read. We've done all. Of yeah, I like so, it. So don't let any, any new listeners. Sometimes I feel like we have to do that. We've talked with we a lot of hours of us having conversations on this podcast. <laughs> and so it's like you go back. We've defended pretty much every practice that we can defend. Now we lean certain ways on certain practices um, mm -hmm. and definitely have a heavy focus on workshop, but we've, we've definitely defended uh, these traditional things. So don't think I'm trashing that, but I'm just saying in a typical sense, if you're, if you have your one novel that everyone's reading, regardless of grade level, what's happening during that process, you are inevitably leaving kids behind unless you're accommodating for them, right? And a lot of teachers kind of do this naturally. But what happens is if you get kids that are severely behind in reading in grade level, whether it's a fifth grade classroom, fourth grade classroom, 10th grade classroom, um, you're going to struggle with this aspect. And what happens if you have reading workshop where kids are uh, reading their, they have their choices. They're doing all of these things. Maybe you've set up specific literature circles for them uh, to add some of that choice. Maybe you've limited the choice because you want to do a nonfiction study or a genre study or something like that. The more you open up the reading side of your workshop, you're going to allow for more freedom for what those kids can do. I think a lot of teachers have discovered this through graphic novels, for instance. They can get these kids mm -hmm. who might be super behind, um, but they can get a lot of success and build up that confidence and build up that stamina by giving them graphic novels. They end up reading a whole series of Amulet when they've never read anything, right? Um, a lot of those books have boomed. Uh, you know, you think of the those graphic novels that are a little bit longer, like smile, um, new kid, you know, whatever. There's tons of books out there, um, that have done very well because, uh, teachers have realized that the, these are great ways to accommodate. And so on the reading side, uh, you can also sit with those kids too, bring them in, sit in, listen in while they're reading to get some of those, um, pieces that you need to do for them. Hey, if maybe they have, they can't read aloud, but this is what your mini lesson has. It has this piece and you need to kind of get their fluency. You need to check in with them. Guess what? When you're independently reading, you just pull them up to you. You sit with them, whatever you do your quick check that way. And it already opens up a little bit for you to do that. Um, and it, I think it does it in a way that doesn't make kids feel embarrassed. I think in Lower elementary, I think kids are a little bit more understanding of, oh, they're at this level or they don't even think that way. Um, but the higher you go, it definitely gets more apparent. Um, and then you get your kids that, you know, 
they're the high schoolers that they'll grab the the younger book, so to speak. But then like they, they, they make fun of it, right? It's like, Oh, I don't really want to try this. No, it's like, cause this is your reading level. Like, and you know, you're kind of making a joke, but that's, we don't want kids to live in that realm. We want kids to kind of move on. Um, but they won't move on if they're not reading enough, if they're not reading enough, they're not growing enough, they're not growing enough. They're never going to move forward. And before they know it, they are an 11th grader who still really can't read anything higher than a sixth grade level. Um, and so I think workshop allows for that to you accommodate those kids who might need that extra care, might need that extra support, might need to read something that isn't quite on grade level, but without any shame, really, or as little as possible, um, which I think is powerful mm-hmm. as well. I think I think shame I don't, I don't think we talk about that enough, how shame for a lot of these kids who struggle um, for various reasons uh I think that plays a lot into their disconnect of the classroom. And I think those kids who find a teacher and find a a class that doesn't make them feel that way, that allows them to be where they're at without feeling like they're dumb or super behind or are less than the other kids. I think those kids really open up. They start shining. They read more. They talk about their reading more. They talk about their writing more. They engage in the classroom more and have like these really great experiences. Um, and it completely changes the reader and writer identities. Um, And I think that when you experience that, you're like, oh, this is really this is a magical thing to do. But I think a lot of classrooms don't do that um, because we insist on certain practices and certain things. I don't know. I think I guess to wrap up my thoughts on it is if people are struggling with this, if they're looking at workshop and it's like, okay, so how does this work with my inclusion class? I think the, the best way to go is to go, okay, so by opening something up, by giving this independent time, in this independent time when I'm conferencing, how many of these accommodations can I accomplish within that time frame? How much more can I do? How can I structure my conferences to be the times where I give them the accommodations that they need or give them the supports that they need? Um, and I think if you do that, it doesn't take long to realize that a workshop format really is conducive to supporting these kids uh, in a lot of ways. And I think it I think it'll give you some peace of mind that, man, I really do have the time in here. It's just all about flipping that structure a little bit um, to allow for teacher table, to allow for independent conferencing, to allow for that kid who struggles with writing one sentence to do so on their own terms rather than having to be like, hey, I need you to write this in 10 minutes and give it to me. Um, and yeah. just having and having that flexibility, I think it just frees the teacher, frees the kids. Um, so, yeah, I'm answering my own question. I do think workshop is a a valid way to do this. And I think that anyone looking to do it with these with these kids, 504s, students and special needs kids, dyslexic kids, whatever, um, I think go forth and conquer. I think the only limitation is district policy. Um, what you're being forced to do in the classroom, but that's that there's always workarounds with that in workshop. Again, I think the workshop is the best way to work around those things too. So it's a shocker. We have a podcast about workshop on Joe. We're very, we're supporters of it. Oh no, it is. Well, um, I have to say, I agree with you on, on, on your reading side of it. Another thing that I do, and I want to listen in, I think it's very important that we hear our kids read. Uh, that's one way I know really what their problem is. If I can't hear them read, then I, I can't really understand what their, their needs are. Does that make sense? So one of the things that I do is I do have them partner read. So like if we're reading all the same, let's say we're reading all the outsiders, the same novel, right? Same basil, whatever it is, it doesn't matter to me because I read them all. I'm okay with the textbook. So I've never been one 
that shies away from any of it. I just make sure they have all of it. And so one of the things is, is I'll say, okay, partner read. So y'all figure out how you're going to, you know, you need to, you know, divide your, your reading up. And I just make sure I don't put a really high kid with a really low kid when I do that. So I put them with maybe a middle kid and a low kid, a high kid and a middle kid. You know what I'm saying? I don't, I don't put two low kids together either. So, you know, you just got to have to, you have to kind of manage that a little bit when I have them partner read. But the thing about partner read, that when they're partner reading, they're reading out loud to each other. But I'll stop in and I'll listen and I make them read, you know. So that's another thing. And then that's also another place where I'm having to assess the kids. Everybody's reading out loud. And then I bring a kid to my teacher table and then I'll assess them. So I'm like, okay, you're my partner right now. So you need to go. With these two, I'm going to bring you up and then you and I are going to, I want you to, I got to hear you read. And then this is where I can actually assess fluency and stuff. So I do it during that time. That might be one day or two days out of a six weeks that I do that. So I can assess, see, see if they're improving, if they're not improving. So those are some things that I do, plus everything that you talked about. Um, so that would be just something that I would add, but yeah, I think, um, the reading time is a great place. Also extending. I noticed that if I go ahead and, and conference with all the students, no matter whether good readers or poor readers or in the middle readers or emerging readers, whatever, I pull all of them if I'm going to pull one. So periodically I'll pull all of them. And on the kid that can read really well, I might talk to them about theme, right? What's the theme? How do you know it's the theme? Another kid who's struggling, I might talk about phonics, see, because that may be what they need. So I just make sure I know what they need. And then I, I'm with you during that reading time is when I address those reading issues and conferencing and I walk around and I, I listen to them. And then also on my own teaching side, Laura Robb again, our friend, I do uh, read alouds and I also read from picture books, as you well know. I read from a variety of types of books so that you're talking about that shame thing because I read all the different types of books that kids feel more comfortable about reading whatever they want to, as long as you have good, rich literature. Even the picture books are nice, rich words that they use. So anyway, those are just things that, that I do to make sure that I hit all of those things you talked about. And that is it for this episode, ladies and gentlemen. I hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. That's Pat Winter. I'm Jacob Chastain. Two educators down here in the state of Texas doing what we love. Talking about reading our workshop. If you enjoyed this, go join us over there on patreon.com slash craft address. Support us at the listener listener plus tier. Get bonus videos, bonus episodes, and so much more. We're going to be rocking and rolling on some back to school training stuff. These videos stay live on the Patreon. So whether you are new, you can go back and watch all the ones that we've posted. If you support us at the proper tier, you can go get all the bonus episodes we have over there and so much more. So go check it out. We have a nice, a plethora of items available for you if you go support us just like donna amanda matt jen Lori, hannah andrea tracy susan natalie Lori, destiny nalissa carol courtney rebecca sarah amy mark leah brandy and alicia all have so go support us come back for another great episode next week and know that we are here for you